Hello and welcome to the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 83. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm by myself this week. I don't have a guest. Last two weeks, we've had Matt, we've had Arturo on the show. Great guests, good conversations. It was fun to have him on. I'm going to try to have more guests more consistently. Um, I really enjoy just talking to the homies, talking sports, you know, making fun of their teams when they lose. Uh, just, you know, shooting ideas back and forth. But for this week, it's me by myself again. And man, what a weekend of sports have we had. What a weekend of sports. The greatest divisional round of the NFL playoffs ever. Every game came down to the wire. Every game was exciting. Some more than others, but all of them came down to the end. Everything was exciting. Especially Sunday, the Rams game really started off the day like amazingly. And then the Chiefs and Bills lived up to all the hype. And then some... And then the Australian Open was going on. Nick Kyrgios, he's doing his thing. He's entertaining everyone in Australia. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get started. Episode 83, thank you so much for being here. Let's get started. First and foremost, I want to talk about the Chiefs versus Bills. The Chiefs win 42-36, walk-off touchdown in overtime. Patrick Mahomes brings the Chiefs back from basically done everyone thought they were done if you're looking at the probability of win versus losses it was going it was shooting up and down for both the bills and the chiefs so credit to Mahomes, credit to josh allen both of them probably played a perfect game on both sides like you can't really look at josh allen and say that he needed to do more you can't look at Mahomes and, and say like oh if you would have played better it would have you know it would have been easier for a game for the chiefs i think both quarterbacks played to their potential, left it all out on the field, and it was just incredible. Those last two minutes where the Bills took the lead, and you're like, okay, this, that's it. Like, there's no way the Chiefs come back. And the Chiefs score, uh, like, a 50-plus yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill, and you're like, okay, they probably left too much time for the Bills, but can the Bills do it? This is going to be the moment for Josh Allen. Stephen A. Smith was tweeting that if Josh Allen does that, he's going to be the new Tom Brady. He's the new Tom Brady if he gets this done. Josh Allen drives him down again, gets another touchdown to Gabriel Davis, who ended up... Gabriel Davis, shout out to Gabriel Davis. He lost, but he had a performance of the lifetime. Eight receptions, 201 yards, four touchdowns, a postseason record. So Gabriel Davis, you know, he finished the year really strong. In the regular season, and he's come, he came alive in the postseason. Unfortunately, he's out now. But don't forget about Gabriel Davis. If you play fantasy football, he might be a sleeper for next year. Keep an eye on Gabriel Davis. But when Josh Allen drove down for that touchdown to Gabriel Davis with 13 seconds left, it was pandemonium. If you if you were on Twitter during any of the last two minutes of the Buffalo Bills with the Chiefs, that was all that anyone was talking about. This game was ridiculous i saw a statistic that said that in kansas city uh 90 of tvs were tuning into the game that's crazy and if i was to say a rough estimate i would say maybe around half of the u.s was watching the whole world was watching it was incredible it was it was magnificent it was must watch tv it lived up to everything that i ever wanted from this game when i was talking to arturo i made the i made the connection to the lakers versus clippers on how uh, the, the Bills and the Chiefs was a hyped-up matchup before the season started. We all wanted to see it. The Bills got embarrassed in the AFC Conference game last week. They were talking about the Chiefs. They were talking how they're they're obsessed with the Chiefs. Like they want the Chiefs. They're building their team to to beat the Chiefs. They beat them in the regular season, and you're like, okay, hopefully they meet up in the playoffs. You know, it's never a guarantee that they're going to play each other. Sometimes 
the matchups have to fall. And we did get to see it in the divisional round, probably around too early than um, we would have expected or wanted. But it lived up to everything that we ever wanted. Unlike the the Lakers versus the Clippers, where, you know, same same type of thing, preseason hype, you know, promos, everyone's talking, like, team parties from both sides are saying, talking shit, talking smack, everyone's hyped up, everybody wants to see it in the playoffs, and it never happened. So I was just glad that the Bills and Chiefs did happen. And once it happened, I was like, man, I hope they live up, I hope they live up to it. And they did, man. Oh, boy, did they... Did they do it? But once Josh Allen, back to the story, once Josh Allen scored with 13 seconds left to put them up three points, you're like, okay, KC still has three timeouts. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Tyreek Tyreek Hill. It's Travis Kelsey. You're like, okay, like, you kind of know that they're not completely dead, but you're like, okay, like, it's going to take a miracle for them to not be done, you know? I know they got three timeouts, but three timeouts, man, like, you're not even going to be able to use all three because, um, like, there's just not enough time. Each play is going to take, like, what, five seconds, take a timeout, five seconds, you run another play, that's it. Your third timeout, you're not going to take it because the time's going to run out. So you're like, okay, like, the Bills just got to, you know, tackle someone in balance, and it's over. And, you know, they kick it out of the end zone. They get the ball at the 25. Little little quick play to Tyreek Hill. He gets, like, a quick 18 or a quick 20, and then down the seam, he gets Travis Kelsey, he gets another 15, and you're just like, oh, my God, they really did this. 49-yard field goal, goes down the middle, overtime, Chiefs win the coin toss, and at this point, you're like, okay, yeah, they're going to win this. There's no way they give the ball back to to the Bills. And sure enough, they drove down the field methodical on the number one defense, and scored the game-winning touchdown to Travis Kelsey, and game over. And I know a lot of people are complaining about, like, everyone enjoyed the game. Everybody wanted to see this keep going, especially with the last two minutes where it was just a back and forth. It was pandemonium. Like, the stadium went from being super happy, defense, defense, Bill score. All right, Chiefs, come on, let's do it. Mahomes has got this. Tyreek Hill scores. Boom, pandemonium. Arrowhead goes crazy. Josh Allen starts driving the Bills down. The field, the stadium gets quiet. You're like, oh, my God, they're going to beat us. Boom, they score the touchdown. Stadium goes quiet. Mahomes takes him down the field, gets the game game tying field goal. Again, pandemonium in the stadium. It's just loud. And then it was just ridiculous. So everybody, I get how everybody wanted to keep it going. Everybody wanted Josh Allen to get a chance to respond. You know, I get it. I get it. I completely get it. I, I kind of wanted Josh Allen to get a chance to respond, too. But then we get to the point where it's like, okay, like, these two juggernauts caught fire, right? Both teams caught fire. There's, honestly, there we might have never gotten an end if you just keep giving the other guy a chance to match it. We could have we just kept going and going and going. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but before the overtime rule was whoever scores first wins. It didn't matter if it was a touchdown or if it was a field goal. You just had a score and that was it. Game over. And people thought that wasn't fair, so then they changed it to okay, you can't, you can no longer win with just a field goal. If you score a field goal, the other team gets a chance to respond. And I think that, I think that's as good as it gets, because if you if you keep changing it, then at some point it's gonna get to like the college football overtime, and and that's too gimmicky. That's not really even football. Like like you're just playing offense and defense. You completely eliminate special teams. And I think I personally, once they change the rule, I I really like the rule. 
once we went from just anything wins it, you could just get a field goal and it's over, to okay, if your defense gets a stop, holds them to a field goal, then you get a chance to respond. If you score a touchdown, it's game over. If you score a field goal, it's, you know, sudden death, whoever scores next wins. I like that stuff. I like it. I think if you just keep changing it and change it, you're just going to prolong the game. There's going to be more injuries. There's going to be you're, you're going to lose more star players. And, you know, God forbid something happens to to one of your favorite players. Like, who's to say that if you just let the Chiefs and the Bills keep going at it, you know, these guys are just going to keep getting fatigued and fatigued. And, and, you know, God forbid something happens to Josh Allen or Mahomes. And now uh, we're just left with, you know, one of these teams losing their star quarterback because they've played what, 48 minutes plus another 12 in overtime, or if you just keep it going, like, you know, it's just, or 60 minutes, actually. I'm, I, was, I was thinking NBA. 60 minutes plus another 15 in overtime, and then you just keep it going, 75 minutes. It's, it gets to a point where it's like, all right, if, like, these men are trying to kill each other on the field. Like, I think the rule is correct. It's unfortunate that it happened to Josh Allen. It's unfortunate to the Bills, though, that they let the, they let the Chiefs get to field goal range in 13 seconds and i think it is it is what it is the bills had to stop the chiefs to a field goal to give josh allen a chance they couldn't do it they pay the consequences the chiefs had to execute and they did at home it happened to the chiefs versus the patriots and i know people are just like oh but you know we were we were complaining back then to we want the rule change back then i get it if anything maybe just for the playoffs i don't think this would make sense for the regular season like, if, what if you have, like, two, three, four, five overtime games? Like, we know teams do go to overtimes multiple times in the season. I think the Raiders went to overtime four times during the regular season. Just imagine if those games just getting keep getting prolonged and prolonged and prolonged. So, I think maybe I, I could see the maybe the playoffs postseason gets, get a little tweaked or something. But I think for regular season, it shouldn't get moved. And honestly, if I had a boat, I would just leave it how it is. But overall... Kansas City Chiefs versus Buffalo Bills. Whew, man, just thinking about it is just bringing me excitement again. It was just a roller coaster of emotions. I can't even imagine how the fan bases for these two teams felt during the game. Like the highs and the lows. Like I kind of felt it as neutral, as neutral as a free agent fan. I felt it like, whoa, the Chiefs are done. Like they turned their season around just for nothing. Oh, the Bills, you know, they got the revenge. Oh, my God, the Chiefs came back. You can never cut them out. And then, oh, my God, Josh Allen has arrived. He's going to, you know, slay the dragon. And, oh, you, Mahomes is crazy. Just It was just pandemonium insane. I hope you guys watched the game. I hope you guys tuned into it live. I hope you guys were reacting on social media because that in of itself, it was, it was a beautiful moment as a football fan, as an NFL fan. To culminate the divisional round with this game, with all the highs and lows, it was just amazing. I completely and thoroughly loved it. And NFL's king, NFL's king, especially in the U.S., nothing can touch the NFL. Oh, my God. I, I'm, and I'm excited for this uh, conference weekend, conference championship weekend, Chiefs versus Bengals and Rams versus... 49ers that's gonna be amazing but Bills and Chiefs they lived up to it and we get what 10 plus years of this Josh Allen's 25 Mahomes is 26 man and uh, people were like everyone kept talking about the AFC the AFC is so stacked man Mahomes 26 Allen 25 
Herbert, 24, I believe, or 23. Um, Lamar Jackson, around the same age, 24. Joe Burrow, 25 or 26. I think he's 25. Whew, man, Baker Mayfield, 26. <laughs> I'm just like, Baker Mayfield is bad. But, man, the AFC is stacked. If you don't have a quarterback and you're in the AFC uh, and you watch this game, you must be petrified. You're like, how are we going to get over this these teams in any of these next few, in the next few years? Like, it's a scary sight. It's a scary sight, man, having Josh Allen and... Patrick Mahomes in the same conference. But man, overall, I just, I'm gonna stop talking about this game. It was amazing. I loved it. Uh, I wish I would recorded it. Like, if if this was like the early 2000s, I would have wanted to have like a VHS copy of this game. Just, you know, saved over somewhere that I could just pop it in into the VHS player and just kick back and watch it sometime. And then after, in a couple years, I realized that, you know, I taped over something important, but it didn't matter because this game was that good. Rams versus Buccaneers was the game of the year for approximately three hours till the Bills and the Chiefs topped it right after the conclusion of the Rams and Buccaneers. But man, this game was also ridiculous and it would definitely be in the contender for game of the year if the Bills and Chiefs hadn't just gone berserk and hadn't just, you know, done some historical stuff. But the Rams were in thorough control. It looked like the Rams were going to run away with it. The Buccaneers, it looked like, you know, they took the Rams lightly or they weren't ready or I don't know what happened, but the Buccaneers were not ready for this game. The Rams, honestly, the Rams should have blown them out of the field. They should have sent, you know, shockwaves through the NFL. They would have sent a message. You know, the Rams are here. They're probably going to host the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's in SoFi. They're going to run through the NFC. Whoever comes through the AFC is going to have, you know, a big task. A big, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tall order to beat the Rams. There's going to be a lot of, you know, hyperbole headlines if the Rams would have just executed how they should like you know they had chances to really blow the game out of the water Akers could have punched it in before the half and he fumbled um Cooper Cup fumbled Akers fumbled again bad snap over at Stafford's head there were so many mistakes the Rams had and even then they still had a comfortable lead and the Buccaneers made it a game came back vintage Tom Brady just finding a way to bring his team back. And, you know, honestly, I was watching this game, but I was also, you know, it was a beautiful day in San Francisco. I was enjoying the sun. I was out and about with uh, with my friends. We were getting food. We were playing a little tennis. I had a game on the side. I was just chilling, relaxing, watching the game, enjoying the sun, having a good Sunday fun day. But, you know, I was, I was you know, keeping track of the game as, as any NFL aficionado would do. And, you know, I was keeping track. All right, the Rams take the lead. Buccaneers only have a field goal. Rams score again. Buccaneers can't get anything going. Just keeping it on my phone. I'm like, okay, looks like the Rams are going to win. But obviously, you can never count out Tom Brady. And you start thinking like, okay, you can't count out, you can't count out Tom Brady. And you start getting to the end of the third, beginning of the fourth. And you're like, you know, they got to make their push. They got to make their push um, if they're going to have a chance. 27-3. You know, we all know the Super Bowl that Brady came back 28 to 3. And you're like, you know, people start tweeting about it. People start talking about it. You know, don't count down Brady out. We've seen this movie before. Colin Cowherd, even though we've seen this movie before, Colin Cowherd was like, there's no way that they, there's no way this happens. There's no way Tom Brady could, um, brings them back. This game is done. 
And then the Rams get a field goal, get a fumble, get a touchdown, and you're like, whoa. All of a sudden, it's like 13-27. You're like, whoa. It was just 27-3. Now it's 13-27, two-possession game. Still, you know, plenty of time in the fourth quarter. Like, are the Rams, you know, at that point, the Rams definitely must have felt like, uh uh-oh. Like, did the Giant just wake up? Did we wake up the Beast? Is Tom Brady going to have another uh, another episode to his Man in the Arena? Like, are we just going to be in the Man, man in the Arena, like, season two? Like, that's that's how it felt. And, you know, I know Ram fans were definitely scared. Uh, at the end of the game, most of them were like, oh, never in doubt. Like, this was, we knew we were going to win. But I know I know they were clenching, man. I know they were clenching. And, and then the Rams went down. And they missed a field goal short. A 47-yard field goal short. And you're like, what? How do you miss short on a 47-yard field goal? But the Rams didn't take advantage. I mean, the Buccaneers didn't take advantage. They went like three and out. They had to kick the ball back. And you're like, okay, that's it. Game over. Buccaneers had to, you know, they had to capitalize on it. There's like six minutes left. You guys got to score now. And they couldn't. They send it back. They waste all their timeouts. They get the ball back using all their timeouts around four minutes. They got to score quick. And Ramsey gets burned, just gets dusted, dusted. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Ramsey versus Diggs. And I do think Ramsey's better. Diggs, you know, kind of gives up too, too many big plays. But, damn, Ramsey just got cooked by Mike Evans. Mike Evans scores a you know fifty five yard touchdown something something along those lines makes it a seven point game with like two minutes like three minutes and twenty seconds left something like that seven point game Rams if they get one first down it's over but you're like wow Brady again bringing his team back and you're like okay Rams one first down you could ice this game and uh, I remember I was walking back to my car my roommate Miguel was next to me. And the Rams had just gotten the ball. And I, I jokingly said, fumble, fumble, just to mess with him, just to see his reaction. Because at that point, you know, I had been telling, I had been relaying the information to him. I had been showing him the game on my phone. And, you know, we're keeping up. We're like, no way. You know, the the devil's going to do it again. Tom Brady's going to do it again. And as soon as it became a one-possession game, we're like, dude, he's going to do it, huh? He's going to do it. Like, oh, he, can't, he can't keep getting away with it. He can't keep getting away with it. So we're all, you know, just reliving all of our past traumas as, you know, me as a Raider fan and I used to be a Charger fan. We're all just having PTSD as we're walking back to the car of Tom Brady coming back on our teams. And then, so I was just joking. I was just joking. I try to make a joke. Like, I don't think the Buccaneers, I don't think the Rams had even run their first down play once they got the ball back up 27 to 20. And I was like, oh, fumble, fumble. And he's like, no way. And I was like, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, nothing has happened. And then we got to the car and we sat there watching the last few minutes. And Cam Akers fumbles and gives the ball back to the Buccaneers. And you're like, oh, my God. It really happened. Like, how does this How does this keep happening? And my friend Arturo, who was on the show last week, he tweeted that it's like, it's so obvious the deal that Brady made with the devil. And you're like... Like, it, it, I'm starting to believe it. Like, how does everything always just 
happen? How does how do Brady's defenses always force the turnover, always give him a short field, always like allow him to stay in the game? And then you're thinking like, okay, like now the Buccaneers got to play it smart. They can't score too quickly because then the Rams are going to get the ball back. Like they're for sure. It wasn't even a question like if they're going to tie it 27-27. You kind of just knew they're going to score 27-27. They just can't leave too much time for the Rams. And, you know, they they made their way down to like the 12. They got like a fourth and one and they they punched it in for net. Fourth and one, made made a player miss, found the seam on the right, wide open, touchdown, Buccaneers tie the game, pandemonium, stadium's going crazy, Twitter's blowing up, Tom Brady does it again, the GOAT, tip your hat to Tom Brady, man in the arena season two, this man's never going to go away, he can't keep getting away with it, yes he can, he's the GOAT, defenses always pull through for Tom Brady, and you're just like, wow, <laughs> like that's insane. The Rams are really pulling uh, an Atlanta Falcons. But Sean McVay trusts Stafford, gets sacked on the first play, takes the timeout, and then busted coverage. Or before that, he found like a first down pass to Cooper Cup, busted coverage, like 40-yard gain, Matt Gay for the win, Rams win, crazy, crazy game exhilarating exciting edge of the seat type of game whoo man that was crazy that was insane that was an amazing game would have been probably the game of the year if it wasn't for the bills and chiefs topping it just a few hours later but man rams bristers buccaneers that was amazing that was a great game if that's tom brady's last game you know vintage brady bringing his team back making it interesting striking fear in the other team uh, you know, making them a question like what reality even is. Like, how does we were just up 27 3? How is this man tired of the game? They weren't doing anything. Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald were just eating their line alive, and now they're tired. Like, how is how does this even happen? But it, you know, Tom Brady, the the wizard, almost did it again. And that segues just that was a great game. Congratulations to the Rams, they play the 49ers. At home this weekend. I'll touch on that uh, maybe in another episode. But I do want to talk about Tom Brady because, you know, he's been talking about retiring. There, This is one of the lead-ups to the game. Tom Brady, this might be it. He might call it. And then he went on his podcast and talked about how he wants to spend time with his family, how Giselle doesn't want, like to see him get hit. And he's old and he has kids now. And they're getting to an age where he wants to spend time with them. And, ah, man, everything just seems to point that Tom Brady is going to retire. Tom Brady's going to retire. I feel it. You know, with the documentary coming out, everyone's like, why is the documentary coming out when he's not even done? Like, he should have waited for his career to be over, for him to drop this. Great documentary. But, you know, he's still writing his book, his chapters of his NFL career. But, you know, what if he knew this was it? What if the reason the documentary came out this year is just instead of having a farewell season, instead of having a farewell tour, we could just, you know, enjoy his career episode by episode on his last season. And I think he changed the light in a lot of people's mind. I I know he changed how I view him, especially with the last two years with the Buccaneers. In my opinion, he became more likable. He showed a little bit more of his personality. He wasn't just a robot. He, He really just he looked like a fun guy. 
And, you know, he, he made a TikTok. He made a Twitter. He made some funny TikToks. He made some funny tweets. Yeah, he went on to the Manning cast. He really shined and showed his personality these last few years. And I think uh, separating him from Belichick was good. You know, they were... They were they they were always be tied hand in hand, and they will always be known as the Patriot way. But these last few years really helped us see who Tom Brady is, and you know, he terrorized most of the NFL for years and years and years. And if you're almost any team in the NFL, you kind of probably hate this man just because he's won so much, and your team hasn't. Especially if you're the AFC, especially if you were one of the good teams. I think I've said this in another podcast explaining why. Each team would hate Tom Brady. And, you know, if you're in the ABC East, obviously you don't like him. He he punished you. He owned you for 20 years. If you're the Colts, you probably don't like him because, you know, he took care of Peyton Manning. He prevented you guys from winning championships. Same thing goes to the Steelers. Same thing goes to the Ravens. You could have had more chips if it wasn't for Brady. The Chargers, same thing. Chiefs, AFC Championship game, same thing. You probably don't like him. And you can just keep going. On and on and on and just start think, thinking about why your team didn't like Tom Brady. But I, like I said, these last two years with the Buccaneers, the documentary, his personality, social media game, it's really helped change the light on Tom Brady. So I, for one, will say that it, I'm going to be sad. And I don't think I would have said that before. He was just the enemy. He was just, you know, a, a cheater. He's, he had all these scandals. But I must admit that if Tom Brady retires, it's going to be a sad day. And I've came to appreciate, you know, the career he's had. He's a GOAT. We're happy. I'm happy to have, you know, watched the NFL. Uh, basically, his whole career, uh, I've, I've watched him go from a game manager to a pr- prolific passer uh, to breaking the record with Randy Moss to, you know, making two tight ends popular, cool again. Um, to using running backs, to really pushing the envelope on, you know, passing running backs. And just being just being a warrior, man, bringing teams back. And, of course, you know, still got to throw a little slight, you know, being advantageous, always having a good defense to back him up. And the refs giving him some few, you know, soft calls. But other than that, if Tom Brady, if this is it for Tom Brady, which I think it is, every, everything seems to point that. He's ready to call it. He's ready to, you know, go be with his beautiful wife, Giselle, enjoy his kids. What a great career. And I respect you, Brady. Great career, man. Uh, you honestly, probably for people that talk about this football, who, who like to go to the barbershop and talk about sports, who like to chop it up with their homies and just, you know, just talk sports. I think Tom Brady has been part of our lives for the last 20 years more than any other quarterback more than we've probably talked about him more than anybody else just because he always wins he always beats our teams he's always in some controversy he's just he he was he would always be talked about so i know tom Brady has had an impact in my life you know you always got to talk about tom Brady. he's always up in the standings um and that always means he's in big games. He's in the Sunday night football games, Monday night, Thursday night. Anytime your team plays his team, if your team's doing good, you know his, you know Brady's team's doing good. Marquee matchup. Whenever a team's doing good, they're playing Brady. Marquee matchup. Your quarterback is doing good. He's playing Brady. Marquee matchup. So this is it for Brady. You know, enjoy retirement. Do your thing. Come back to California. Enjoy, enjoy retirement. But if it's not, you know. 
it's going to be, we'll welcome you back with open arms, Tom Brady. Um, if Garoppolo still has a job, you know, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Tom Brady could play till he's 60 and still be better than Garoppolo. Um, and that should segue to my topic, 49ers versus Packers. 49ers beat the Packers 13 to 10. This is definitely a black mark in Aaron Rodgers' career. The fact that he loses to Jimmy G again. The fact that the Packers only put up 10 points. The fact that they scored their touchdown on their first drive and only put up three points the rest of the way is pathetic. It's embarrassing. And I I couldn't believe it happened. Uh, I'm not like a Green Bay Packer fan per se. I'm not a Niner fan. But I did draw the Packers in a in a pick'em or in a randomizer for the playoffs. So if the Packers would have won the whole thing, I would have made some money. And I did predict the Packers versus the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So I was like before the season started. So I was rooting for the Packers uh, to get at least to the Super Bowl and possibly win it, make me some money. But Aaron Rodgers, it, it just seems like he's a regular season quarterback. He has all the accolades. He's about to win his fourth MVP, back-to-back MVP, 13-4 and four season with the 13-3 and three season, two 13-3 seasons right behind it, 13-3, and 13-3, and 13-4 and since Matt LaFleur came in. But they lose to the 49ers, and they just couldn't get it done, man. They couldn't get the offense going. It looked like Aaron Rodgers had tunnel vision the whole game. He was just looking for Devontae Adams. 49ers did nothing. They had one good drive. They got into the red zone, and Jimmy G threw that interception. Jimmy G was asking to throw the game away. He threw a couple, a couple ducks to the to his to the flat where the running back was, and with he he doesn't have a cannon of an arm. So whenever he's trying to check down to a running back, the ball seems to just hang up in the air. And there was a couple of times where it looked like the ball was going in slow-mo and the running back's waiting. And if the cornerback's a little more aggressive, a little bit more assertive, he could intercept the pass and it's a pick six and, you know, game, set, match. And a couple, like a couple of times the Packers cornerbacks just kind of let up. I think they were scared that they wouldn't get there and they would just leave the running back a big gap. So instead of, you know, being assertive and going for the pick, they kind of just let up and, and went for the tackle as soon as he caught the ball. But, man, Jimmy G, um, terrible. Uh, it was funny. I saw a tweet that said, Jimmy G is the only quarterback in NFL history that's losing money the further he goes into the playoffs. Like, the more footage we see of Jimmy G, the less teams are going to want him. Like, they're just going to look at him and be like, okay, we don't have all the talent that the 49ers have. We don't have Debo Samuel, you know, doing end rounds, running the ball. We don't have a U. We don't have George Kittle. We don't have all these weapons that the 49ers have. We don't have that defense. We don't have their coach. There's no way we could get Garoppolo and plug it into our system and think he's going to do the same thing. Because, man, Jimmy G's atrocious. He's terrible. I, ah, he It annoys me that he keeps winning and he keeps going on and on and on. And, you know, I live in San Francisco, so I know how much San Francisco 49er fans just despise Jimmy G. And they know that he's going to hold him back. And they know that they're probably not going to win with him. And I think that just makes the loss so much worse for the Packers. The fact that the 49ers looked like they were holding Jimmy back so he wouldn't lose the game for them. They, they knew that at any point Jimmy G could just throw the, the game away. So they were just trying to like limit him and just stay in the game. Don't let Jimmy G 
make any mistakes and really put this game out of reach. And the Packers still couldn't still couldn't win. And Aaron Rodgers' illustrious career, he's only been to one Super Bowl. He did win it. Thank, thankfully for him, he won the one Super Bowl that he went to because I can't even imagine the pressure he would be in right now. If going, if what, age 37, age 38, he had zero rings and he had no Super Bowls. Thankfully for him, he did win that Super Bowl. Or else, man, it would be insane if he had none. Because the Steelers did have a chance to win that game. It was a good Super Bowl, I remember. But since then, Aaron Rodgers is like 0-3 or 0-4 in NFC Championship games. NFC Conference Championship games. And there's a soundbite of Aaron Rodgers... I believe losing to the 49ers back in back in the day saying, oh, if this was in Lambeau, if this was in 20 degree weather, it would be a different story. Well, we got to see it this weekend. It was I think it was like three degrees outside. It was snowing. It was ugly. And the Packers still couldn't get it done. And now there's questions if Aaron Rodgers is going to retire, if he's going to come back with the Packers, if he's going to force a trade. And honestly, I think he's gone. I think. The way he's talking, like, I don't want to be part of a rebuild. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Um, I could see him leaving. I could see him trying to go somewhere else. If he goes to the AFC, I think it would be a mistake. The NFC looks um, a lot softer, a lot easier to get back to the Super Bowl. The AFC is stacked with good quarterbacks right now. So, I mean, not to, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it, but he hasn't done it in 10-plus years, and he's getting older, and there's these young guns. In the AFC, so if I was him, I would either stay with the Packers or go to an NFC team. But it does look like Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, it might be a thing of the past. And if it is a thing of the past, I think he completely underperformed and didn't achieve everything he could have with the Packers. And the Packers, as they're always going to be talked about as a class organization, as you know, one of the best model franchises in the NFL history. You know, Lambeau Field. Um, all the championships that they have, far of all the Hall of Fame players that they have, Vince Lombardi, all this great stuff. But for the Packers to only have won two Super Bowls with like 20 years of Favre and like almost 20 years of Aaron Rodgers, like two Super Bowls in like almost 40 years with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You know, two Super Bowls is great. A lot of teams would kill to have that. A lot of teams have none. So two Super Bowls is still a good thing, but I think overall it's an understa- it's it's underwhelming. It should have been more. And hopefully for the Packers, love turns out to be the real deal because Brady uh, it looks like Rodgers is gonna leave. And if they couldn't win with Rodgers and love isn't the real thing, then you know the Packers might be he- heading into obscurity. They might not be, you know one of the mainstay teams, franchises in the NFL anymore. But overall, I'm just shocked that the Packers lost to the 49ers, to Jimmy G, to Jimmy G, the mediocre, you know, middle of the pack, probably in the 23rd, 25th best quarterback in the NFL. I can't believe they lost to that guy. It's embarrassing if you're a Packer fan. Arturo said he was going to delete all his social medias from the last podcast. He's a Packer fan. He's still there. He's still there on Twitter, so if you guys want to tweet at him and you know talk some shit for the Packers losing, I'll put I'll put his Twitter handle in my description or something. Now nah, I'm just playing. Don't don't harass him, man. But it, it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing for the Packers to lose that way 
at home, letting a California team go to Wisconsin in the snow in almost zero degree weather and bully them and just eliminate them when they had the first round by. Sad, sad day if you're a Packer fan. I think they showed a statistic, too, of the California teams traveling to, like, 20 or lower degree weather. They were, like, 2 and 12 or something like that. So it's just bad all around. Just bad, bad look. And I think it's a black mark on Aaron Rodgers' career. And the least entertaining game of the week. Mm, it's still good, but Bengals versus Titans, 19-16. Bengals move on to the AFC Championship game. Congrats to the Bengals. Congrats to Joe Burrow. They get it done. They upset the Titans at home. Titans who had a first-round bye. Titans who had Derrick Henry coming back. There was a lot of hype. Derrick Henry, the king, coming back. Best running back in the NFL. How are the Bengals going to stop him? Well, to be fair, Derrick Henry did not look 100%. It did look like he got rushed back. Like Obviously, you can't blame the guy. You can't blame the Titans. It's the playoffs. He wanted to come back. Um, they put like metal on his foot to help it heal. It, they did a lot of stuff. We'll see how he comes back next year. He definitely didn't have the same burst or pop or strength even when he was running. He didn't strike fear in the Bengals like he would have. He was 100%. Hopefully, King Henry is back next season and better than ever. Hopefully, you know, he another 2,000-yard season. Fuck it. But we could obviously tell that he was not 100% and he was toughing it out for the team. So respect to Derrick Henry for even trying to go at it, even, you know, being out there on the field. It shows a lot of good. It shows the type of player that he is. So shout out to him. But it's going to be hard for the Titans to win anything, to do anything, uh, to get to the Super Bowl, to win the AFC when Ryan Tannehill is your quarterback, man. He fooled everyone. He had a few good games. He was a class quality game manager but there's a reason he didn't work out with the Dolphins there's a reason he's not one of the top top quarterbacks he turns the ball over too much man and if you're at that level where you're not a game changer per se where you're not one of the elite quarterbacks where you're not a top elite franchise quarterback you can't be turning the ball over man you gotta keep a clean game you gotta not force the issue you gotta give your team a chance because you're not the star you guys, you kind of just got to steer the ship. Let your running backs, you know, set the pace. Let your running backs um, win you the game. Let your wide receivers get some yak. And Ryan Tannehill, honestly, he cost he cost the Titans the game. He had three t- three interceptions, only two hundred twenty yards passing, uh, one touchdown. The touchdown, I do got to give him credit. It was a beautiful throw to AJ Brown. Um, so I gotta give him, gotta give him credit there. I believe it was to tie the game. So gotta give him credit there. AJ Brown balled out five receptions, 142 yards, one touchdown. He's a star. Julio Jones. We never got the big game from Julio Jones. Six receptions, 62 yards. I don't know if that's on him. If it's on Ryan Tannehill, I would lean Julio Jones because he's been hurt so much these last few years. But overall, the Tennessee Titans disappointed this season. Yeah, they were the number one seed. But, you know, they never really got going on offense. Agent Brown and Julio Jones never had a big game together. They were never, like, the force that I thought they were going to be. Ryan Tannehill definitely had a down year. And uh, that contract is looking, it's not looking that good. And it's starting to look, the more we go into the contract, the more years we get of Ryan Tannehill as it started with the Titans. That lust, that initial, you know, 
gratitude of Ryan Tannehill turning his career around, um, revitalizing his career with the Tennessee Titans. That that rosy glasses that we look at Ryan Tannehill, we're like, oh my god, he's it's so good for him, good for the Titans to give him a chance and turn his career around. Look at him, look look how many touchdowns he has to interceptions. Look look how many wins he has since he became the starter for the Titans. Like all you know, everything that people have given given Ryan Tannehill credit for and giving him, you know, his flowers for. The more we get into his career, it gets to the point where, like, okay, you know, it's all good. It's all great. You know, good for the Titans. They're a relevant t- team again. They're, they're going to consistently make the playoffs. They have a nice roster. You know, they have the best running back in the league when healthy. They have an elite number one wide receiver with A.J. Brown when he's healthy. Um but you started you started thinking like okay you know Ryan Tannehill good for him he got he he stepped it up he definitely is playing better um, in this part of his career than at the beginning but he can't really win you games and and if you look around in the NFL even just the AFC you're like okay can we win with Ryan Tannehill like can we do it and the more I look at Ryan Tannehill with the Titans the more it reminds me of Alex Smith with the Chiefs. You know, Alex Smith had Tyreek Hill. Alex Smith had Travis Kelsey. He had a good coach. He had um, Andy Reid. And he made the playoffs. The Chiefs had good records. They would win the division. They would even have big leads in the playoffs. But you never really thought that they could win it. You never really thought that they could stack three, four wins together and win the Super Bowl. They they met up against the Patriots. You never thought they really had a chance. Even when they had the big lead against the Colts, you were like, okay, like the Colts could come back on them, and they did. Um, they lost the even they lost they even lost to the Tennessee Titans and Mariota. And the more I see the Titans, the more I'm seeing the Alex Smith Chiefs. Where and then don't get me wrong, I like I love Alex Smith. I think he's a he's a good quarterback. I like how he turned his career around, and similar to how Ryan Tannehill turned his career around. Ryan Tannehill had to leave and go to the Titans. Alex Smith had to wait for a quarterback, a uh, coach to give him a chance in hardball and really, you know, bring, bring stability to his career. But the more I see Ryan Tannehill with the Tennessee Titans, the more I see Alex Smith with the Chiefs. Just a, a you know, good game manager. Going to have decent stats during the regular season. Going to have a pretty decent touchdown to interception ratio. Um, you know, He's not going to be one of those terrible quarterbacks like Jimmy G or Baker Mayfield. He's going to be steady. He's going to be all right. The moment that you need him to do a little bit more, that's when he's going to get ugly. That's when it's like, okay, uh, we need you to go four wideouts and drive us down the field. Um, running game's not working. You know, your star running back's hurt. We need you to put the load on your shoulders and take us home. That's when it gets ugly. That's when they show their true colors. That's when you're reminded, okay, I don't have, uh, I don't have the guy. You know, I don't have the franchise quarterback. I don't got the, the head honcho. You know, I, then it sucks. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I do think making playoffs is better than not making playoffs. But at some point, you know, it gets tiring just losing in the first round or making the playoffs and knowing you can't win. At some point, I think the Tennessee Titans are going to have to draft the quarterback of the future and move on, especially if you see across the field, you see Joe Burrow 
and what he has done to the Bengals. The Bengals were like the laughing stock of the NFL just a couple years ago, and now they're in the AFC Conference game. So I think what I learned from this game is that Ryan Tannehill is just officially not the guy. I already had my ideas about him, but this game just seals it. Ryan Tannehill is not going to take the Tennessee Titans to the Super Bowl. It's not going to win a Super Bowl with them. It's probably not even going to make a Super Bowl with them. And if the Titans want to really be a contender, really take advantage of Derrick Henry's last few years as an elite running back, because running backs, you know, they fall off a cliff pretty quickly and really take advantage of Adrian Brown and get any juice out of maybe the last two, three years of Julio Jones. We'll see how much he has left. They got to get a real quarterback. And there's going to be some available in the market. Ryan Tannehill is not a bad piece to throw in the trade. So they might want to look into that. I don't think they will. I don't think they'll attract a quarterback like that but they definitely got to consider that and for the Bengals just you know not the previous game Burrow had some interceptions too the difference between Burrow throwing an interception and like Tannehill throwing interception is like Joe Burrow you know he'll win your game his arm talent's there and you could you will win because of him and if he makes a mistake you're like okay like we're we still kind of winning because of you and you're just being aggressive when Ryan Tannehill throws a pick, it's like, okay, bro, just don't mess it up, bro. Don't mess it up. Like, you just can't mess it up. You can't mess it up because you can't bring us back. So there's a difference. So Bengals showed some resiliency. They did beat the Chiefs in the regular season. It's going to be a great matchup. But what I learned from this game is just Ryan Tannehill is not the guy. Sean Payton is stepping away after 16 years with the New Orleans Saints. He will no longer be the coach for the Saints. This is breaking crazy news. Sean Payton just completely turned around. Not just only that team, but that city after Katrina. Um, They really just, him and Drew Brees really just revitalized New Orleans, the city. Helped them get over a tragic, tragic event and brought stability to that franchise. Made the Saints a mainstay. Made the Saints one of the important teams in the NFL. So shout out to Sean Payton for that. Shout out to Drew Brees. But for the Saints to lose Drew Brees and Sean Payton back-to-back years, man, I don't want to say that they're going to go back into their, you know, putting bags over their heads days. But it looks ugly, man. It looks ugly. If I'm a Saints fan, I'm definitely not just a little bit worried. I'm big worried, man. I am big worried. $71 million over the cap. You have no quarterback. The quarterback that you kind of wanted to put your future on got hurt towards ACL. He was already, you know, above average to a little bit more than above average when he was playing. And that was with Sean Payton being the offensive coordinator or being the play caller. That was Sean Payton being there, being one of the greatest offensive minds in the NFL right now and in the NFL history. So that was, that's what you guys had going with Sean Payton. But now Sean Payton's gone how is uh, Winston going to come back from his ACL injury? Is he even going to resign with the Saints? You got Taysom Smith, who we know is not an NFL quality quarterback. You got a lot of people with big contracts. You're over the cap. You got to cut players. You got to work the books. The only solace that you got is that hopefully Brady retires. If you're the Saints, you're hoping Brady retires. You know the. You know you're hoping no one, none of the quarterbacks that are linked with Carolina get there. You're hoping Deshaun Watson doesn't go to Carolina. You're hoping Russell Wilson Wilson doesn't go to Carolina. And the the Falcons, you know, 
they haven't been that good these last few years with Matt Ryan's. So you're hoping that, you know, Matt Ryan doesn't get like a second win, a third win in his career and, you know, just go go crazy in his last few years. That's that's what you're hoping for if you're the Saints. And maybe you hire one of your in-house coaches and they're able to carry that magic that Sean Payton had. But it's going to be tough shoes to fill, man, because Sean Payton, he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He he's a savant in the on on the offensive side. And he's he seems like he's a good people person. He looks like he's just a good head coach. And the impact that he had with New Orleans will never be matched. So that's crazy. You still got Kamara. You still got Michael Thomas. We'll see how he comes back from his ankle, from all the injuries he's had these last few years. And you still got, you know, playmakers on the defense. So it's not all gloom. Like, there must be a way for you guys to work the books, to get back under the cap. Even though you're 71 over, that's insane. I don't know how that happened. I know how it happened. They, you know, they pushed contracts back, and now it came, comes back to bite them. But, you know, round of applause for Sean Payton for turning that franchise around. Drew Brees. But, like I said, if I'm a Saints fan, I'm I'm kind of really worried that the Saints just become the laugh, laughing stock of the NFL again. Hopefully it doesn't happen because the Saints have dope-ass uniforms. So whenever they're in prime time, whenever they're in a marquee matchup, it's always nice to see those unis. But, man, it could be bleak. It could be bleak for the Saints. You know, Russell Wilson had put the Saints as one of the teams he would get traded to. But without Sean Payton, I think that becomes a non-starter right away. And there's rumors that Sean Payton might be going to the to the Cowboys. If I'm the Cowboys, dude, I'm, I'm hitting up Sean Payton and I'm calling him. And I'm like, dude, like, just think what you could do with Dak Prescott and, you know, Zeke, you could probably revitalize Zeke. You use him in an Ingram role, in a Mark Ingram role, and you know use uh use your other running back as a the Kamara role. And now you got CD, you got Amari Cooper. We'll get Gallup back up and healthy. We got these other wide receivers. We got Wilson. You could you could do this, man. You we could run it back. You could run it back with the Cowboys. You know, you've been you've been in these offices, you've been in this franchise before. Let's get it done. I think that's what I would do if I'm Jerry Jones and I know he's under contract with the Saints. So the you know, you might have to throw some picks. I don't know if the Saints want players for Sean Payton because they are already so above the cap that I don't. I don't even know how, how that would even be possible to get players in return for Champagne when Champagne doesn't count for the cap, but the players do. So it'll be a mess to try to trade them for players. But if you get a few, you know, first round picks or something like that, get some cheap players on rookie contracts to fill out your roster. I think then maybe you could start really turning the page, Champagne for you know some young players, some players still on their rookie contracts. And some picks so that they, when they come in, they're on cheap deals. I think that's what has to happen. But if I'm the Cowboys, man, I'm getting rid of Mike McCarthy with the quickness, man. Even if I don't get Sean Payton, I will use the Sean Payton walking away from the Saints, parting ways with the Saints as an excuse to fire Mike McCarthy. Because, yeah, it's kind of hard to fire Mike McCarthy because he is a Super Bowl winning head coach. And they did just win their division. They did just make the playoffs. And they had some quality moments in their season. But he's terrible with clock management. He just seems like he's a little outdated for today's NFL. So if I'm the Cowboys, I kind of use this as a pivot to get 
away from uh, Mike McCarthy. And even if you don't Sean, if you don't sign Sean Payton, you're like, oh, we did this because we thought we were going to get Sean Payton. Unfortunately, we didn't get him. I guess no work Mike McCarthy will just promote our offensive coordinator to head coach or we'll sign somebody else. But I think if you're the Cowboys, you have to make a push for Sean Payton. You got to really talk to him, get in his corner, and pitch him a sell for being the head coach of the Saints. That would be insane. That would be crazy. I think Sean Payton goes to the Cowboys. Would make the Cowboys one of the better teams or maybe the perennial favorites to make it out of the NFC, especially if Tom Brady retires, especially if Aaron Rodgers moves teams. If I'm the Cowboys, all in on Sean Payton. And if I'm the Saints fan, I am completely worried about the next five to ten years for the Saints without Sean Payton's leadership. And we're winding down in the Australian Open. Um, We're finishing up the quarterfinals today in the men's singles. We got uh, uh, Felix FAA against Medvedev. And we have, uh, who's the other one? Sinner versus TC Buzz starting in a little bit. Uh, they will probably have concluded by the time this video is up. So just, you know, follow, uh, keep up with the scores. But I want to talk about Shapovalov versus Nadal. I was very pumped up for this game. I was super excited. Nadal, who's going for 21 without Djokovic, without Federer in the Australian Open. He has a chance to get to 21. Shapovalov, who had a shaky end to 2021, is trying to start 2022 on a high note. First time he's made it to the quarterfinals in the Australian Open. First time a Canadian has made it there too. Two of them actually made it with FFA also making it. So I was super pumped up. Shapovalov, who has beaten Nadal before, I think at the age of 17 or 18. And Nadal, I think he's won the last three after that. So 3-1 record, Nadal heading into this game. Um, I was pumped, man. Shapovalov's playing some of his best tennis. Took out Zverev, one of the favorites. For the Australian Open, especially when he won the ATP Finals last year, in in a hard court, you'd think Zverev, this is the type of tournament. This is where he could possibly break through and finally win a major. And Shapovalov takes him out, so he came in hot. He came in ready. Nadal came in ready too. He took the first two sets, looked very comfortable, broke Shapovalov once each in in those uh, sets. And really imposed his will. He looked strong. He looked very concentrated. Typical Nadal, fiery, like no extra, you know, emotions. Just straight to the point. It, it is, it's kind of sad or it really gives you uh, a perspective on how old Nadal is or how much his foot has been bothering him the last few years when he doesn't slide anymore or on hard courts. He kind of just stops. Commentators kept talking about it. How he doesn't slide for um, when he approaches the net and stuff like that, or when he gets close to a volley, he he doesn't slide anymore. So I hope Nadal. You know, I wish we get more years of Nadal, but it is eye opening to see like, man, this dude is thirty five. He's old, man. He's old. Nadal is old. He's playing with against a twenty two year old, and he's you know he's keeping up with him. He's He's imposing his will. And that's what I thought the first two rounds. I'm like, damn, Nadal still got it. Uh, he's still a warrior. He's still running around. He still looks good. His forehand looks good. He has a lot of bounce on his forehand. His serving big out of nowhere. Even his second serve is big. 
commentators kept talking about that too. And I was pumped. I was like, dude, is Nadal going to win in straight sets? And he had a chance in the third set too. I think there was a volley that he missed where I think he was 15-40. He was about to break Shapovalov. And he missed the volley. And Shapovalov ended up holding. And then Shapovalov breaks Nadal to take the third set. And in the fourth set, Nadal started really... Like, his body started really hurting and kind of letting him down. And as a Nadal fan, I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it, man. Nadal, his body, his age is catching up to him. Shapovalov, the younger of the two, obviously 22 years old. Like, I was stressing, man. I was watching that game. Like, dude, he's going to lose being two sets up and he's going to lose. Especially with the commentators kept bringing up how in the same round, the quarterfinals of last year's Australian Open... Nadal was up two sets to O, two sets to love on TC Puss, and he blew it. And TC Puss came back and beat him, won the last three sets, and eliminated Nadal in quarterfinals. And they kept showing, they kept panning the camera to Nadal's camp, Nadal's player box. And everyone on that player box just looked like they had seen a ghost. They were just there, like, shaking their head, running their hands through their head, like, like, oh, man, this is not good. Nadal wasn't even moving. He was he was giving up on points. He wasn't chasing points. And you're like, bro, this is so bad. Nadal asked for a medical timeout. It turned out that he had some problem in his stomach. They gave him a tablet. The commentator kept saying, oh, once that tablet kicks in, once that tablet kicks in, and the other commentator was like, nah, hey, that tablet ain't going to do shit, man. This was done. Like, uh, that's wishful thinking to think that tablet is just going to turn the tide for Nadal. So Nadal loses the fourth set. And as a Nadal fan, you know, we're reeling. I'm hitting up the group chat. It, it just looks like, damn, Shapo's going to take this. Everyone's like, damn, Shapo's going to take this. Shapo's going to take this. And Nadal, being wise, being a little smart, he uses the medical timeout or the medical, you know, gap in between sets to get checked out and then he goes to the restroom after that too buy him a little bit more time let the sun set a little bit let that pill kick in a little bit and Nadal serves first in the fifth set holds and breaks Shapovalov on his first service game in the fifth set goes up 2-0 and after that Nadal just basically saved his energy for his own serves uh, kind of, I wouldn't say give up, but he did try to end the rallies quickly when Chapo was serving. Like, if you would hit a winner or, like, return a winner, like, it was all good. He'll take the points, but he was not going to waste his energy on Chapo's serve. He was content to uh, to let Chapo, you know, win his serves, and Nadal was just going to hold for the victory. I think the closest Chapo came to breaking him back was... In the Dawes' second serve, second um, service game in that fifth set, when it was 2-0 and Adal was trying to solidify his break and make it 3-0, Shapovalov had a chance to break him or to make it interesting, and he couldn't. He couldn't break Nadal back. Nadal took the 3-0, and then after that, it was just, you know, Nadal kind of not really expending too much energy in the Shapo serve and holding, and he just... He held, he held. Chapo kind of lost his composure too. Um, credit to Chapo for having a great tournament. Uh, I saw him live at the San Diego Open, and he is known, and I've seen him oh, like in his career. 
And he is known for losing his composure sometimes. Like, he, he's one of the most dangerous players when he's concentrated, when he's on his game. That backhand, one-handed backhand is as sweet as anything. And his forehand, when his forehand is hot, he can serve big. He's very complete. But he's very erratic. And he could definitely, like, shank balls into the into the stands. And he kind of lost his composure at the end. He got a lot of unforced errors at the end. Was hitting the net a lot. Was shanking some balls into the stands. And in the end, Nadal just, you know, veteran. Got through the fifth set. And now he's in the semifinals. Two wins away from his 21st Grand Slam. Shout out to Nadal. Congratulations for Chapo for making a deep run into the Australian Open. Defeating the number three player, Sverev. He almost pulled off the comeback against Nadal. He just couldn't close it out. Nadal found a wind in the fifth set. The The court was filled up with shade. The sun got a little bit lighter. And Nadal dug deep and just won it, man. And shout out to Nadal. My, my, in my opinion, my GOAT. Y'all might have your own GOAT. That's fair. I know most people are going to go with Djokovic. But Nadal is the one I've enjoyed the most throughout their careers. So I'm happy for Nadal. And I hope he gets his 21st. And like I said, Chapo is an exciting young player. But continue to watch him. Continue to root for him. He was just going up against Nadal, one of the goats. And he just couldn't pull off the comeback. But the most entertaining part of the Australian Open 2022 has definitely been Nick Kyrgios. Who's making his comeback. Who's always known to be a spectacle. Who's always known to be box office. Um, love him or hate him, he is pure entertainment. Um, just the tennis purists hate him. I think younger crowds, the younger generation loves him, loves the excitement and entertainment that he brings to the court, loves the energy he brings to the court. I'm a, I'm on I'm on the side that really enjoys his tennis, that watches his highlights religiously on on YouTube, that tunes into his matches just because. He's fun. He's entertaining. He's different. Um, he's just cool. He's he's. I know there's people that are like, oh my god, man, he's disrespecting the opponent. He's doing all this, man. He's having fun, bro. It's a sport. It's yeah. You're supposed to play to win, but you're also supposed to have fun. So I'm a Nick Kyrgios fan. If you get disappointed by that, or if you want to hate on me for that, that's cool, man. I, I like Nick Kyrgios. I was a Guatemalan Blanco fan when I was little. That should say something. Odiame mas. I'm an America fan. Hate me more. That's the slogan for America. Odiame mas. Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Cuauhtémoc Blanco, if you don't know who that is, Mexican player, number 10. One of the most skilled players in Mexican history. He was known for being a hothead. He was known for, you know, stopping the butt, stopping the ball with his butt. Like, instead of just controlling it with his foot, he would turn around, let the ball bounce, and then it would bounce into his butt, and he would control it that way. He had a... He had a he had a slouch on his back. In Spanish, they call it jorobada. Jorobada. And sometimes they would send a pass to him. And, you know, everyone knows that you could stop the ball with your chest. Just chest it down, bring it down. This man was funny. He would use his jorobada. He would use his, his, his slouch on his back. And the ball's coming in the air. Instead of chesting it down, he would turn around, use his slouch to bring it down. He would even give passes with his, with his back slouch. Uh, he would just like let the ball come, and when it got close, he would just arch his back. It'll bounce out. He was known for doing no no look passes. He was known for 
whenever he got a foul, he would pretend to take the foul quickly. So he would stop the ball. And then if you guys don't know soccer, I know I'm segueing, but if you guys don't know soccer, um, when, when you get fouled, you have to stop the ball from rolling because if the ball is moving, then they call the, the play back. So you got to like, let's say I was running with the ball and I get fouled. Then they they mark the foul. So then you get the foul from the spot. You get you get to start the play from the spot of the foul. And sometimes, you know, teams like to hurry up, keep the play going. So they just, you know, put the ball down and, and kick it to, to resume play. But if the ball is moving, then the ref will blow the whistle and be like, hey, ball was moving, like bring it back. And then you just miss the opportunity to, you know, keep the play going quickly and catch the defense off guard. So, there, so it is known, it is a common thing where players, you know, get fouled, they get up, they put the ball down and they start playing. So, so Cuauhtémoc Blanco, he would do the fake where he would get fouled and he would get up and put the ball down and pretend that he was going to restart play real quick. And then instead of kicking the ball, he would just do like this feint and he would just like kind of like lift, lift his nuts towards you and like pretend like, like <laughs> he just, it was just, he's just a funny guy. He's very charismatic. He would rub the people the wrong way. And, you know, like I said, he had all these things that made him extra. So like if you, if you were an America fan, if you rooted for him, you would love the guy with all the theatrics that he had. But if you were another team, and he played for America, the most hated team in Mexico. So, like, he was that type of player in the most hated team in Mexico. So, if you were an America fan, you loved the man. You He kind of exemplified everything the team represented. And if you were one of the other 19 teams, 17 teams in the Mexican League, you already hate America, the team. But then this guy that's showboarding and he's doing, like, passes with his slouch on his back and he's stopping the ball with his butt and he's doing like back heel passes and he's doing like body feints where he's kind of throwing his nuts at you you would you definitely hated that man with uh, without a doubt you hated that man like with the bottom of your heart a fiery hate but i love that man i was an america fan and i loved all those theatrics so nick curios for me that's the type of player he is for tennis he showboats, you know, he does all these funny things, tweeners between the legs, no-look passes, no-look hits, these volleys, he spins, he gets the crowd pump. He reminds me of Cuauhtémoc Blanco, I'm not going to lie. He's a showman, he's very skilled. We all know Kyrgios is one of the most talented players on tour. I apologize for the long segue. But I just had to get my point across as to why I appreciate Nick Kyrgios. And he has been saying that tennis is going to die. They need to embrace more personalities. They need to embrace. It can't just be like a blue, like a white collar. Like we're all just going to be robots and we're all just going to want to win. We're not going to have fun. We're all going to say the right thing. We're all going to be buddy, buddy. And, you know, tennis, it's it's a I love tennis and I've gotten into tennis more in, in the past few years. But I do. I think it is uh, uh, too buddy buddy sometimes. Like you warm up with your opponent, you, you share the same locker room, you you know you practice with each other in the off season. You, I've seen uh, like little vlogs online where players share a house with like six other players and they all practice together and they all kind of live together. I think Berrettini and FFA. I've seen uh, and some other girls on the WTA tour. 
they've all shared houses and I've seen some videos about that. And it's all cool. It's all fun. But I think it's also fun for, you know, to have a common enemy, for someone to be the disruptor, for people not to like some some of their opponents, to not just be friends with everyone. I think it's good for the sport. It's good to create, you know, like a common enemy, someone to root against, or if you like that type of player, someone to root for. I think that's what Nick Kyrgios has become. But nevertheless, we, we've been knowing this about him before this Australian Open, but this Australian Open, he's just taking it to the next level. That match against Brody in the first round was just amazing. He, he showed everyone the type of level that he could play out and how entertaining he could be while still being a high-quality singles player. And then the, the singles match, the second-round match against Medvedev, that was just thrilling. Like, there's, I've seen countless highlights of that match on Twitter, on Instagram. That was that was so much fun. And for Kyrgios to play at that level, to compete against number two in the world, Medvedev, to really, you know, push him. It was only a four-set match, but if Kyrgios would have won that first-set tiebreak in the first set, he could have definitely really, like, scared Medvedev in that second round. He Like, I'm pretty sure Medvedev did try a lot, and it was a tough match for Medvedev, but if Nick Kyrgios would have found a way to win that tiebreak in the first set, dude, honestly, he could have probably upset him. He And for Nick Kyrgios to be gone from tennis, second half of tennis last year and be hurt and coming back from COVID, it just goes to show the top player Kyrgios is. And it was a short-lived singles run, but it was very fun against Brody, against Medvedev. It was it was entertaining tennis. But what that doubles, what their doubles run has been so far has been so unprecedented. Teaming up with fellow Australian Koki Nakis, Koki Nakis, they're into the semifinal. They play tomorrow at Rod Laver Arena. And if you guys have been keeping up with them, man, they've played in the show court arena the last three times, and it's been packed, man. And if you guys don't keep up with tennis or if you guys don't keep up with doubles tennis, it is not the same as singles, man. Singles, they, they get packed. Stadiums get packed. Everyone knows the singles players. Doubles, different story. Still entertaining, still fun. I got to see some doubles action at the San Diego Open. Taylor Fritz was teaming up. I forgot who he was teaming up with, but I got to see some doubles action of Taylor Fritz. I think they ended up playing against the number one seed in this tournament. I forgot their names, but anyways, not a lot of people play or pay attention in the doubles. And for Nick Kyrgios and Kokinakis to be packing stadiums, bringing that energy has just been very, very fun. In Australia, they had to turn... They had to put the the quarterfinal match of Kyrgios and Kokinakis against Putz and Venus. They put them on the main channel. They started with Nadal, but Kyrgios and Kokinakis were making so much noise in the quarterfinals doubles that they pushed them to the main channel and moved Nadal against Chapo to one of the secondary channels. And it just goes to show you, like, the wave, the momentum that Nick Kyrgios has right now with Koki Nakis. And I really hope that they win the whole thing. I know there's going to be a lot of haters, a lot of people that hate Kyrgios. That think, you know, he stands for everything that's wrong with tennis. I disagree. I think he's exciting. I think he's fun. Um, I, I think he's great for the sport. And I think it's, if, if you love your heroes, if you love that, you know, white collar always saying the right thing, always keeping your composure, respecting the sport. I think 
Nick Curios, if you hate Nick Curios, he's going to make you love your player even more. So it's good for you too. Like, how do I put it this way? Like, if you already like the complete opposite of Nick Curios, Nick Curios being there is just going to make you love your type of player even more. Because if everyone was just like your players, like, okay, everyone's this way, like, whatever. I think being a contrarian sometimes is good. Not just if you appreciate being a contrarian or going against the grain, but it also makes you appreciate um, the people that stay true to what you think is the correct way of playing tennis or, you know, respecting the sport. Like, you could just hate on your curios and just be like, damn, thank God that's not my favorite player. Thank God I like this player. And he's, you know, look at him. He's the perfect role model. Look at him. Just always playing correctly. Just always going back to his line. Always, you know, beating the time clock. Never getting a time violation. Always, you know, talking respectfully to the line judge. Always, you know, just going back to his... You know, if, if you like those type of players, I think Nick Kyrgios being such a different player is going to appreciate your favorite player. It's going to make you appreciate your favorite player more. So it's still good for you. That's what I'm trying to say. But regardless, Nick Kyrgios, Koki Nakis, incredible run in the Australian Open. They bring the energy, and it's been fun, man. And I know Nick Kyrgios, I, I know he knows what he's doing, man, because I don't know how many other tennis players follow other sports, but I know Nick Kyrgios watches the NFL. He watches the NBA. He's always seen rocking, like, NBA jerseys. Kobe, Jason Tatum is one of his favorite players because he loves the Celtics. So I know he's he's looking around. He probably, he probably goes to NBA games, goes to football games, and... Damn, these crowds are electric, man. Look at look at look at the energy in this arena. Look at the energy at this NFL game. Look at the energy in this soccer game. Like, why is that not the energy at these tennis games? Like, he probably thinks like, how cool would it be to be playing in a similar um scenario? Like in a similar like atmosphere. Why can't we have those crowds in tennis? Or like you just you just have the whole stadium rocking, chanting, having fun, not just being quiet, not just being told to shut up, not just being told to quiet, please. Like, why can't we have real crowds having real fun and just making the whole stadium, the whole atmosphere real, real fun? And I think Nick Kyrgios is doing that and I appreciate that. And I mean, I get it. If you like old school tennis, that's great. But I think this is this is also this is also fun. This is also great. And I will leave it at that, man. The Australian Open has been fun. I'm going to tune in to the um, who's playing right now. You guys you guys don't care because that game's going to be done by the time you see this or listen to this. But uh, I think it's going to be, uh, who is it today? Uh, oh, yeah, Sinner versus TC Pass. TC Pass is leading 2-0 right now. I'm going to make sure to watch that right now. Um, by the time you guys hear this, it's going to be over, so... You guys will know the score, but thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, the division round of the NFL was just ridiculous. One I will never forget. The Australian Open has been fun. Shout out to Nadal for making it to the semifinals, making it to the final four, two wins away from the historic 21 Grand Slam. And Kyrios and Kokinakis have just electrified the, the Aussies. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. it's been great hope you guys tune in to Australian Open make sure to tune in to the NFL Conference Championship Games this has been episode 83 of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast hope you have a great rest of your night have a good one